0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of The Anti Racist Economy with Kim Creighton. I'm Erin Mills, your moderator today. And The Other Racist Economist is a podcast with Kim Creighton that's dedicated to building a future that is supremacy, coercion, discrimination, and exploitation free. In each episode, Kim and I jam on what's going on in the current workplace, what dynamics are at play, how pop culture is intersecting those conversations, and have a lot of fun while doing it. So Kim, thanks for being here as always.
1: Thank you for joining me again.
0: <laughs> we have- Thanks so for moderating. A, I love my title as moderator, <laughs> very official. Uh, it, it's like, you have to label it because otherwise it's like we're having great conversations, right? <laughs> I have to have some utility here. Um, So we have so much we want to talk about today. And I think the first thing we always generally love to do is just catch up with you and hear about the work. And recently you have decided to take on an entirely new sector, a new vertical. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: I think we've, we mentioned this a little bit in the last episode, but we're, I've really kind of been honing in and and figuring this out. Um, And it's the intersection, I want to sit at the intersection of um, tech and entertainment, but more so, tech leadership and celebrity culture, or celebrity, or or um, entertainment leadership. So, at the, the people who have the most access and most abilities to leverage systems, institutions, and policies that are um, designed to exclude the many at the expense of the few, in the benefit of the few. I take that back. Yeah,
0: and beyond just making sense from a scalability perspective in terms of like which industry can influence the most. What about the industry itself makes it ripe for your expertise?
1: Well, it was, I mean, every day there is a, first of all, every day there is a different story about the hills of entertainment. They're not new, um, but what's different now is the fact that um, I have some solutions where I didn't before. Um, and because of, and it's what's interesting is, tech is allowing us to see entertainment and celebrity in a whole different light. I mean, you look at people like Kim Kardashian, you look at, uh, I mean, their whole family that um, hasn't been able to become million billionaires just based on social media, just based on influence, just based on celebrity. Um, and yeah, they have businesses, this, that, and the other, um, and yet they were able to position themselves, particularly their mom, their mom, in ways that your average black entertainment a- entertainer or wouldn't be able to do. Um, and so then you look at the Harvey Weinstein. I mean, there are stories upon stories. I mean, just this week at the entertainment of tech with Twitter, Elon Musk, and then. Um, Kanye with his anti-blackness and how that's playing out and that so it's there as you said, not just the bandwidth and the ability of um, of both tech and entertainment to influence, but they intersect whether we think about it or not and and they want, particularly with how tech is now uh, yeah, how tech is now, it fundamentally can, make a career, can break a career, can be redeeming for some people. Um, it shows um, if people are able to find community, particularly marginalized communities in entertainment so they can find um, support amongst them. So there, it, it's a logical
0: intersection. It really is. I mean, and tech enables everything. Like tech has enabled. And that. that's
1: one of the reasons I stayed in tech when I first started. That's why my doctoral degree is building t- it's a, it's technology entrepreneurship, how to build technology businesses is because it touches every industry. And the reason I didn't do medicine in tech is because people don't pay their medicine um, in the same ways they pay for entertainment. Um, people go to their doctors or take medication when they have to. People are proactive when it comes to entertainment. So, um, that's another thing. Like even uh, I could do, you know, law, the law in tech, but again, unless you need an attorney or you're, you know, we don't, we don't, um, that the law is not something, I mean, I have attorneys, but I use them because I need to protect myself. Right. It's right. not, I'm not using them because, Oh my God! I just love hanging out with a 30. <laughs> and reading contracts and da da da. No, no, right. no, no, no. Yeah, right.
0: right. Those are reactive. necessities, yes. right. Absolutely. Or
1: or if they're proactive, they're proactive for protection. For protection. It's about it's about yeah. risk management. It's about yeah. crisis management. Tech and entertainment are places where people spend a shitload of money just to be.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because you know at Strathouse, like we've built our entire business on the fact that B2B events can and should be more like entertainment because Mm -hmm. that's what folks show up to. They show up to consume, right? They show up to see entertainment. Oh,
1: even when I speak, I I tell like you, I've said at times, I don't want to present my content. I want to perform my content. Absolutely. Yeah. When I speak, uh, I see it as a performance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really logical intersection, obviously, for all of the reasons you stated and you're actually heading out to LA next week uh in a couple of weeks yeah uh, in a couple actually, of weeks in a couple yeah. weeks um really to kind of to, to start some of the the formal discovery process for this work right? yeah, so to, I mean, the book, hmm?
1: yeah the book officially comes out in November and so I'm going to spend some time um out in LA making some first meeting some people having some initial conversations to see what's out there um where I fit um well no i take that back because i don't give a damn if i fit or not who fits with me <laughs> right Absolutely. i'm not trying to fit i had to yeah I, i'm not trying to fit i'm trying to um to disrupt in very very specific ways and i just i, I want to see if i can connect to other disruptors <laughs> great well that's a shirt the disruptors the disruptors
0: is a shirt And I also really like we were talking about this like production without oppression. Oh, I
1: bought that. I bought that domain.
0: Nice. Amazing. (laughs) But I mean, I think it's really going to be fascinating to see how this verticalizes because, you know, every possible industry can proceed, as you know, without oppression. And so, you know, certainly moving, you know, to values based uh, management, you know, across the board, it's really exciting to see how. How do your
1: discovery sessions go, and also, um, one when you're talking about the shift, it is I'm definitely because of bandwidth. And we just had this meeting, is I have to um focus my attention on the folks who have the most leverage. And so this work is not gonna be well. The work is for everyone. Who I'm targeting though are no longer individual com- contributors in in tech companies or. You know, if I'm going talking about going into entertainment, I'm not looking for the individual artists or creatives. I'm looking for the people who impact their lives so that I can make their I want to this going from bottom up is not working. I need to come from top down. <laughs> yeah. So this is about leadership development. This is about management development. This is about culture development. This is about welcoming the psychological safety in your organizations, whether it be a tech company or a, a talent agency or a production company. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is a perfect segue to our trigger this week, uh, which talks about all of those things. And this is essentially, we'd love to discuss, You know, coming out of The Insider, they published two days ago, um, a report that 30 million US workers, 30 million US workers think that their workplace is toxic. And they've identified three factors causing the toxic war culture um, based on the research. So we wanna dig into that today. Uh, And the three were identified as bad leadership, unclear job roles, and toxic social norms. So, let's start with the leadership aspect of things, Sam. So... One yeah.
1: of the things, uh, just in the 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 research, uh, so the insider article references a research article, and I started research reading the article that they wrote. And one of the main things they were talking about was um, these. They you know they um, evaluated. They did peer review of all these different art, um, studies, and that's how they came up. Come upon this. And one of the things that's so interesting when they talk about leadership is that they only talked about their flag for me. They only talked about talk to CEO. They only looked at CEOs and, and um. well, they only referenced CEOs and CFOs, which is um, chief executive officer and chief financial officer. Right there is a problem um, is because, and, and, and so I know you said we're going to start with leadership, but I want to talk about the other one, which is the job—the the, 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 the lack of job clarity, as well as um, the social norms. Who in the organization handles those on the leadership team? It's the one role that is not mentioned in that, and that's the COO, which is a chief operating officer. And um, when I was working with my client, um, um, one of my clients, and they didn't have Tech was so, you know, when they first started, they were going to be altruistic and they started with all these flat organizations and they quickly realized this bullshit because a flat organization does not necessitate or guarantee, because um, um, it was about hierarchy, you know, everybody is yeah. equal. That's not true in an organization, and we need to be honest about that. I don't care if it's it's a flat or if you call yourself a flat organization. An individual contributor does not have the same leverage and power as whoever, whether they have the title of CEO or not. There's somebody who runs that organization. So treating it that same way is problematic, um, and it sets people up for failure. So when having these flat organizations, they opted. Many said, oh, a COO role was... When I was when my client was doing this um, this research because they didn't have anything they were a flat organization I was like no you ne-. and let me stop here because the reason you need the reasons flat organizations didn't work wasn't the concept that the flat organization on its on on its own was problematic it's the fact that in any community in any organization there in particular organizations there are things that need to get done. And there are things that people who need to be accountable for getting those things done. And when you have a flat organization, and and so when they did flat organization, they just did no title. So people didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They didn't know who to go to. They didn't know who was in charge. They didn't know who. And so that was problematic. So that was the whole impetus, I'm assuming, for the, oh, we don't need a COO role. And another thing that I heard was, oh, you automate, get, get a COO and then automate that out. That's the people role. How do you automate out the role that's dealing with the people inside the organization? And so, um, so one of the reasons you have the, the cultures and the jobs so unclear is because who is defining those? Somebody from finance? Oh my God, what? Somebody from finance is making job descriptions. I don't think so.
0: Right, right, but typically, but typically they are unfortunately controlling the culture because they're controlling the purse string, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And 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 to say that you don't need someone when someone is focused only on financial, the finances, that is problematic when you're talking about job roles. That is problematic when you're talking about culture. It's, it's not to say that it's problematic that it's there. It's problematic if that's the only thing, if they're in charge of everything, they, they have a lane. See, Chief financial officers, the officers were never meant to operationalize the core values of an organization. They were never, that role was never meant to come up with the processes, procedures, and policies that every business needs to run and be able to, because you cannot manage what you cannot measure. So again, going back to the leadership, that, that, that key role is missing in leadership. Now, one of the other things that they talked about in the article was when leaders know what or have an idea what the problem is, they have absolutely no way to fix it. They have no idea how to fix it. And that is where my work is coming in. And that's where Profit Without Oppression comes in. And that's where building a foundation of businesses that are rooted in supremacy, coercion, discrimination, and exploitation-free gives people a framework. That is why the book is called Profit Without Oppression, a blueprint for building an anti-racist organization.
0: Absolutely. And it's interesting because a lot of times I think organizations feel as though that these positions are like diametrically opposed to your point. Like finance shouldn't be making decisions about, you know, human resources and values and, and vice versa. But that healthy tension is what makes organizations thrive. Like I can't, I gotta tell you, like the health, like you need everyone in their roles, you know, to, because then it forces everyone to examine and to come together and to and to to, to forge forward the solutions because because it's very complicated. But but by isolating and eliminating a lot of those roles, which a lot of folks are doing just by virtue of, of, of the economy and just by virtue of, of how- A lot work. of people
1: are using the economy to force just to force uh, ret- uh, um, attrition, yeah. <laughs> sure,
0: absolutely. And to justify, exactly, to exactly. justify that, mm-hmm. right? So it's just interesting. Well, tell us a little bit about your management course that you just launched, because I think that's really interesting. We talk about the leadership. I mean, from our perspective, what we've seen across many organizations that we work with is that the great resignation forced sort of an onslaught of promotion. And so a lot of times people just aren't getting They're proper re- training, so exactly. Right? So They're just back in, elevated. yeah.
1: Back in the IBM days, right? IBM's problematic as fuck as hell. But but back in the IBA days, Exxon, um, Mobile, um, any bank there was a management training process. If you decided you want to be a part of the manager or someone tapped you, saw potential, you were put into a management um, management training process. That meant that education was a part of what you got as an employer, an employee. That has shifted. And that goes back to our last conversation about why the student loan debt is so high. Because how else are we going to get these skills now if organizations aren't, are, aren't uh, aiding or even assisting in in getting and helping you gain these um, these skills? So even when you get a, a, a college credit, you know, um, a reimbursement for your job, that's still putting it on you. That's still you got to go out there. You got to do that instead of the organization. All the, I mean, it's easy for them to give money for them to send you to to, for you to pick a college as opposed to for them to invest in this is what our culture is. These are what our values are. And I'm going to train you based on the values that we instill and we want to see propagated and move forward and and blossom inside this this organization. That is what's missing. And so like you said, all these people got uh, promoted because there was nobody in these roles. And yet you're held accountable for Roles and uh, responsibilities of other people that you have no idea how to do. You don't even know how to navigate that these people used to be your peers, and now and so my the management training course is heavily research based. It is heavily research based because what I want people to start doing because so much of management now is gut. Oh, this is what I felt. Gut is problematic, particularly for for vulnerable people in marginalized communities because your gut for people particularly of white folks your guts always harm us so what I want you to do is step out of your gut, look at some actual research and yes research is problematic it's biased but what I what the training does is is look at what I want people to do is look at research look at and so I want this to extend out to everything if you're reading a book if you're looking at a, um, a news or um, news, story, if you're reading what I want you to do is so what they practice doing when they're looking at this art, these articles is doing something that these articles never intended. So the articles have, they come with their own bias from the researchers, but it doesn't matter if I have you look at, teach you how to look at the articles from, from the guiding principles, which is tech is not neutral. Um, lack of inclusion is a risk of management, uh, increasingly a risk management issue. Um, attention without strategies, chaos, and prioritize the most vulnerable. And then when you overlay that with supremacy-free, coercion-free, discrimination-free, and exploitation-free. So I'm teaching you how to see things. I want to change your perspective. I want to help you change your lens. This course isn't about a specific company. It is just like the book. It's not about a specific company. It is a blueprint. It is gonna be different in your organizations. But what I want people to learn is develop the muscle memory of how to manage the roles and responsibilities from of others, from a um, guiding principles perspective, as well as a profit without depression perspective, and so it's very heavily researched. We just launched the self-paced version. If people want to do take you know, again, people some people like to work by themselves, but it's ideal if you do the cohort version. And the cohort version launches in January. Um, so we have two. We have a safe self-paced and a cohort version. And, um, and yeah, and that's what that it, it's about getting people these skills, which they're missing and at a fraction of the cost.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting. You know, we often take surveys of the clients that we serve, and we do a lot of internal events and the number one, always, because what do you want out of your next event? What do you want out of your next, right? It's always professional development. It's always professional development.
1: And and, and and exactly. And that's because no one ever does it anymore. It's done. It's gone. It's now on the, on, on the, um, well, all we've done is extend K through 12 to business. It's like you. And so the, the, the justification for this for business was, oh, customers are not employees aren't loyal anymore. That doesn't, you want them to be. You want them to do their best in that job that they have. Forget about where they're going in the future. You want to give them all the tools they can use. to do. So what are you You telling me, as the folks say in the South, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face?
0: Yeah, basically.
1: You're not giving them the tools and skills they need to do the job well where they are because you fear that five years, two years from now, they're going to move somewhere else?
0: I know. It is really twisted because you're right. Most orgs are really happy to reimburse you. Here's a stipend. Yep. do this, we'll pay yep. for it, but, but they're not in any way being very prescriptive, they're not being prescriptive at all about it, they're they're basically washing their hands of, the, of your education, and it ultimately harms you, because as you said, that maybe they will go learn a new skill and go, go elsewhere based on what they learned, so it's a complete gap currently, yeah. and you know, uh, in the organization. And this is the
1: first, um, this is the basics this is the first of, I think there are going to be, I think there are eight sessions that I have. Cause I get, uh, and I got to build those out next year, but yeah, I'm d- going diving really deep. This is just an overview one. i you know, I'm an educator. I always got to do an overview of a, a beginning. And then I'm mean, in this eight week course, um, designed to be an eight week course, but self-paced, you can take your time. Um, but yeah, it gets into all of those, um, issues that I believe we need to have to create welcoming and psychological safety in an, eco- in an economy that's rooted, that is defined by knowledge that you need for competitive advantage, differentiation, and in- innovation.
0: Is there is there one kind of very pervasive um, misstep or default among leaders today that you think is just continuing to feel this toxic work
1: environment. Well, one is, and this is where my advising work is coming in. Um, a huge one is, and this is usually mediocre, unremarkable white dudes in leadership um, who want to do better, who want, who don't want to be making these mistakes. And when they make a mistake, I, I told a client this recently, I'm like, all y'all do is shit and walk away and leave it for somebody else to clean up. And so... When I make a mistake on my in, 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 in a workplace environment, in a professional environment, as a black woman, it is my responsibility to make sure I fix that. I, I have to apologize. I have to, all these things that I have to do that white dudes in tech and in, in leadership period don't have to do. Um, and, 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 and it's very limited to white women too because y'all don't have to do it either. And so what I find is a whole, just I'll just say this, whiteness, walking around causing problems and not knowing how to make them apologize make amends and make people whole again you see it every day on twitter somebody fucks up they get called out they double down they go off for a while oh i'm gonna leave for a while then they come back with an apology and act as if their apology made that made amends and made people whole and they don't understand how Two years from now, eight years from now, people still bringing it up because you did not make people whole. You did not pe- make people safe. So, that is one of the main things how leaderships, what they say and what they do are not congruent. And people are what, particularly from marginalized communities, we have learned fuck what you say, I'm watching what you do. And that is where that is the biggest thing I see is leaders. I don't give a damn about the leaders who, who, who want to lean into white supremacy and anti-blackness or who want to who want to lean into uh, their ability to leverage and harm other people. That's what ev- all that other stuff is for. What I'm creating is for leaders who want to do different, who want to do better, who do not want to be complicit in the, in the harming of other people and just don't know what to do next because their inaction is actually action and it causes harm.
0: Let's talk about the next of these kind of three factors causing toxic work, work culture. And um, when well, we start, we skim the surface of this like unclear job roles, right? And you talked obviously oh about- my
1: my word tech yeah. has so many stupid things in their job descriptions that make absolutely no sense They have do not bring value into an organization they're following the old adage when you're making widgets and everybody needs to have this amount of knowledge and so when everybody had that amount of knowledge then how would you weed people out that does not work um so our job, so, and and then the other duties as a sign. So we talked about that last week. That is problematic. It is people creating jobs for other people and they don't know what the, let me stop that. I'm not going to say jobs. They are creating a job description which lists roles and responsibilities. And I'm stopping here and I want to say this because I want to use the language that I created. That's why I stopped there. Um, so you have leadership creating they have a job opportunity so they go at it as a list of all the things up under the sun that they can think of that could go into that job right that is not how you write a job description um it is you go from what is the need marry that with our core values and marry that with opera, how what the operationalized processes, procedures, and policies are. So when I'm when I'm working with clients to create job descriptions, I have them with without me um adding anything, just write it down. And then I go back and evaluate and I ask them, why do you need this? So in tech, you need so many years of a, a coding language. Having so many years of a coding language doesn't mean you know how to code well. Somebody could pick it up right then. So uh, these arbitrary time things, yeah. these arbitrary, you need this, you need to know that. Like one of them was, you need to have a um, background in SaaS. Why do I need to know SaaS? I'm coming to a tech company. That's your job to teach me your product. What you need me to do is have the skills to fill the role. So if I, if you're, let's go back to COO, right? Yeah. I would perf- I would hire uh a a if there's a, a, a person who's been who's never had the role who let's say um worked as a, a bar manager in, in vegas oh hell yeah they getting to see because they know how to schedule they know how to buy um buy liquor and write in time they know how to handle customers they know, That is you're looking for skill sets. You're looking for some. What, what about their? So in the, in the knowledge economy, you are hiring people for their lived experience, not for a list of skills that you've made up. And that's what people don't understand. How do you hire for lived experience? That is what the knowledge economy is about hiring for lived experience.
0: I know, and it's so. It's so it's like. Unfortunately, it comes from such a horrible place because most job descriptions are CYA, cover your ass. Like, I'm going to yep. list everything under the sun that I could potentially want because I want the ability to pivot, or I might need them to do this, and and it's not thinking and about. And if you're,
1: but if you're in a, if you've done what I've put out in the book, in the in the, if you've done, if you've built, used it as a blueprint for building an anti-racist organization, and you've done what you needed to do with the organization the hospitality checklist that's in there um and you focused on supremacy free coercion free discrimination free and expectation free and you've done your best to lay the groundwork for welcoming and psychological safety when your business needs change all that is is a conversation hey i know we hired you for this role this is what we need now are you willing to with our assistance to move into this role it's a conversation it's not a gotcha and that's what you, everything in, in, in business right now is a gotcha.
0: Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you're right. I mean, it's just, it's as simple as a conversation. It's a, a conversation. And that is no, why we, we go back to
1: authentic conversation.
0: Absolutely. You and I just had authentic conversations yes. before the podcast about where are we going to be focusing? Where is the time best spent? You know, and it's just Again, if people would just talk to each other, to the most- But mo- most people can't do that though. Let's be honest. Yeah. You and
1: I can do that because I've made sure that we. I've created an environment yep. that everybody, including our volunteers, feel safe enough to bring up questions, comments, and concerns. Most organizational leaders have not done that, so they cannot go back to their people and say that. They have to do the gotchas. They have to do all this because they've not done the work to ensure that people feel safe and that they trust them. There is no trust in these organizations.
0: Right, which is next up on the list, the third factor is toxic social norms. Which is a result of bad leadership, of course. But I think one of the things you and I were talking about before the show is that th- these toxic social norms are perpetuated by these predecessors. So even when there is something, oh, that happened, think about,
1: um, think about move fast, break things. Facebook says they dropped that years ago, and people are still. Even outside of Facebook, other companies have adopted that. Just like this bullshit uh, Sarah Sandberg, whatever her name was, uh, from who was the COO of of Facebook with the lean in for, for, that was a book for white women. That book was no, not for everybody else. But when people started using it as the mantle, as the go-to, who did it harm? The folks that did not matter, that did not work for them. Right. Yeah.
0: And, and so we, made, we set an yeah.
1: expectation that I would never be able to reach because of we've set an expectation based on whiteness.
0: Right. Well, in a lot of organizations, to your point, they adopt these books, these mantras, these philosophies as their ethos, right? Blindly. And they're, sometimes they're in sales training. Sometimes, they're, I mean, it's unbelievable um, the kind of broad application of some of these without any thought in terms of how to individualize it, so, how to make sure it's appropriate. You know?
1: So, three things I want to bring up. One is, and two are corrections because you said some two things that I want to make sure we talk about here. One is um I forgot that thought, but so because I'm wanna I am want to i want first of um and, and and I'm this is and I love Aaron for this. First of all, you said crazy, and we have to be mindful of that language, and you said yes. blindly, and that's ableist language. And so um we have to be really careful of of the language we're using um, that is not inclusive. Right,
0: um, absolutely.
1: And, 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 and I do it all the time. I I still do it. Um, and I wanted to make sure we caught it here so that people, because you know, I'll do this in our meetings anyway, but oh, I wanted wow. to make sure we caught it here, but again, okay. So let's go back to welcoming into psychological safety. Yep. I can say that to you because you trust me. Yep you
0: know, um, and I'm but, grateful. And, and honestly, I'm in, I'm in a position now where I can receive that with gratitude and like, and like, you know, and it, it helps me move forward. It's like a great insight. Absolutely.
1: So how, okay. So I know this is again, no, this is, we're going to demonstrate leadership, uh, yep. um, leadership here. How did it feel to you? Honestly, when I first, cause the first time was when you use guys, right? Oh yeah.
0: So how Absolutely. did it feel to
1: you when I, when
0: I first
1: challenged you on that?
0: Of course. So immediately, I went to a personal place of defensiveness in my head. I thought, well, of course, I don't mean anything by guys. It's closely, it's colloquial. I always use the word guys. I don't mean anything from a gender. So my first response was to internalize it and to defend myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to you, I don't think, but I just internally. Mm-hmm. And then I think my second response was to feel a little taken aback or hurt like, hey, wait a minute. I'm trying to advance the conversation just like you are. And through our work together, Kim, I. Very quickly understood that my reactions were two things that you flag. I was prioritizing myself. My, I was I was centering myself in the conversation by making it about me. I would suddenly, and I was also get letting my emotions get the best of me because immediately again I was personalizing it. I was thinking, wait a minute, Kim doesn't know me. She doesn't know I'm a good person, right? Yes. That, that's where, and but it's and unfortunately that is counterproductive behavior because then you you the conversation completely goes to the wayside now you can't even deal with the conversation now we're dealing with your feelings yep Yep. your feelings are in the way you're not listening you're not attending to the conversation at hand you have centered yourself
1: yeah and I wanted to I know again I digress but I don't digress because that is what we just modeled is what we're talking about all those three things absolutely absolutely it is because you know your role because in my organization as, my, as a partner with me, because again, we had that conversation just before then, how do we move forward? What is 2023 gonna look like? Whose role is this? Can you define it? That kind of thing. That's that thing. Um, I, I'm, I'm modeling great dem, uh, leadership so that you model. So it's not just you and us, you've taken that to your meetings inside your organization. And then when you talk about the culture, we have to feel safe to be able to. I have to feel safe. I am mean, going to be honest, as loud as I am, I have to feel safe enough to even say that because I know white folks can. If I say it to the wrong person, I'm going to be the work person harmed. So I have to even feel safe from you to know that I can give you that feedback. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was deep. We went on, we went, we did full circle here, didn't we?
0: <laughs> we didn't even plan it. Exactly. None of this is, planned. None of this is planned. That's It
1: never beauty, is. Right? Never is. But one of the things I want to bring up is um, as we as we close this out, is particularly when we're talking about like the intersections that we were talking about before. Just like one of the things that Aaron and I will be digging into is it's a lot of the current events around this stuff, particularly like the the Harvey Weinstein trial is coming up, and I'll be um, I won't be following, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I have no desire to follow that shit closely. I'll get enough news outside of it to know um, to be to be able to interject um, um my thoughts in there. Cause one of the articles that I read that just from the beginning of it, and it was it was talking about how um Harvey Wein, although people are dealing with or the system is dealing with Harvey Weinstein it is not dealing with the 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 culture of permissible sexual harassment and assault that he not only perpetrated but i'm sure he inherited cuz i'm sure he's he got his behavior from somebody else and so although and this is what we always do and this is why white folks can take take stuff personally because it's about them because it it distracts from us getting to the systems, institutions, and policies that allow this to happen. And this is the work that I wanna talk about. This is the work I wanna do. I wanna talk about the systems, institutions. Harvey Weinstein is one person who's caused a lot of harm. There are thousands of them out there who need, and and until we address the systems, institutions, and policies that allow them to leverage their toxicity
0: um, and to benefit from it, nothing changes. I can see the wheels going. <laughs> yeah, like... I know. Well, I, I think when you when you're, when we're faced with such a staggering statistic of 30 million people uh, feel that their workplace is toxic. And we talk about the fact that, yes, there's a figurehead now who will go to trial, but there's an entire epidemic. Of, an ecosystem of, of, that supports and, it. That not just supports it, it, but encourages it. It encourages it. But deeply, deeply rooted. Yeah. Right? Deeply rooted you know, in our final moments, like what, what's the call to action? I mean, you know, to the, to the employee who feels their workplace is toxic, what
1: do you do? Oh, Lord, that's way too complicated. (laughs) Um, One of the things I could say is, um, well, like one of the things in the book is an organizational hospitality checklist. And it is a way, because I believe that organizational leaders should see themselves as hosts to their like host at a party. So the organizations are a party and they're the host. And so as a great host, you center your guests. You don't center yourself. And that's what we're doing currently. Where the host is centering themselves. The party is all about them. Cause even go, let's go back to my launch party a few weeks ago. That party was all about me, but I did everything I could to make sure there were name tags there i mean there were uh, pronoun pins there there was food there that people could eat there was something to do i mean so i took although it was a party to celebrate me i wanted to make sure that my guests felt comfortable in celebrating me um and so one of the things i would say is taking an a, a, an assessment of your environment where do you feel safe where do you don't where do you not feel safe what if, do you feel that will be unsafe down the line that you see coming write that stuff down look at that stuff and and you use it as a because some places aren't going to change and you need to go i mean that's just you need to leave but what i and the reason this is so challenging for me to act answer in a succinct way because i believed in lived experience and i can't give a formula for everybody's lived experience because i Everybody has to go by what works for them. Sometimes you have, to, unfortunately, some folks have to stay in a toxic environment because whatever that money is paying for can't be abandoned. Somebody's childcare, somebody's healthcare, somebody have aging parents, they're sick, they need that insurance. So there's so many things in there. So what I encourage people to do is take a take an evaluation, take a take, make that checklist and discern and, and for themselves. Like, let's say a, a stoplight this is a no-go. I cannot do this. Yellow, okay, I can deal with this, but I need to figure out strategies to survive this, right? This is this can be harmful, but I need to figure out how to, to manage this myself. And then the, the green, okay, everything's cool here. And so off the cuff, that's the best I can, because again, I don't like to give blanket,
0: right.
1: um, and this is why I don't like a lot of um, business books or even psychology, but it's, it, it tre- it's like this blanket thing. And I don't know, I don't have, I can, I can never empathize with somebody else. I can extend c- compassion. I can extend grace and I can sympathize, but I would never know what it's like to be somebody else and, and live in there and have their lived experience. Right. So I never try to, I, even when I'm working with leaderships, I have to take into account the leader, the, the lived experience of any mediocre unremarkable white dudes, what they're dealing with. How do they, how do they, Because so many of them, this is something, and I'm going to, we're going to drop this piece right here, because this is something many people don't understand. And I had to see many of these individuals do not know how to deal with conflict, period. And so their go-to is leveraging power or leveraging privilege. So like you would, you and I was just saying, just have a conversation. Many of these individuals have never had to be forced to have these kind of conversations because they've never had to navigate other people's experiences. They've never had to consider other people's experiences. They don't have the skills to navigate these conversations or these
0: situations. So everything becomes like, yeah, for them. Wow. And the other reason why you can't give it any, there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all answer for the employee experience, but also because it's not, it should not be their responsibility. It is the responsibility of the leadership. Again, the the
1: host, that's just like telling someone, unless it's, even if it's a potluck to bring your own food, I'm not telling you now you gotta go clean the kitchen and then no, you just brought your own food. <laughs> right.
0: That's <laughs> such a great analogy. It is, but you're right. Right now everyone is left to their own potluck, essentially. Yes, right exactly. Now. Their own yes.
1: everybody's know. in the kitchen, everybody's trying to clean, everybody's yeah. trying to, everybody's in the way. Everybody's,
0: yes. <laughs> I white folks it. putting
1: raisins and everything it's like oh god stop it <laughs>
0: I know I know we do and, oh my goodness
1: and what's so funny is black folks do not eat raisins like that I'm like I, I don't know where y'all got that from <laughs> raisins are a fucking snack you, you, yeah. you, you get, eat it out the box
0: <laughs> I, I don't know my Slovenian grandmother put it in pizza. that was our family bread like yeah there's a lot of raisins <laughs> I agree with you
1: and I'm a texture eater so I don't like getting and then you and it's ah! <laughs> You bite into a piece of bread and it slides. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. You would not like pizza. Uh, definitely not. Oh, goodness. Well, I think we're actually at time here. And uh, we're going to jump right into the to uh, next week is our live debrief in Vito. So we hope everyone yes. will join us in the hub. That's where we unpack and go deeper. We welcome everyone to join us. Uh, to have a, an extended conversation about what we talked about today.
1: Yeah, and you can find that hub link in the um, in all of my bios in the link tree. So if you want to join the conversations, so we put on a, um, a, a podcast, and then the following Tuesday we we go live at um 1 p, uh, 12 p.m. um Eastern Standard Time to answer any questions.
0: So we hope you'll join us. Thank you so much for joining the anti-racist academy with Pim Creighton. I'm Erin.
1: I'm Kim Creighton and I want to ask you, are you willing to join us?